Do you consider yourself resilient? And what does that mean to you? In this podcast, Resilient Entrepreneurs with 241, we chat with business owners about what resilience means to them as they share their inspiring stories and life lessons. What we've learned running our own businesses, you're never alone, even when it feels like it. So tune in anytime to this podcast. We're always here for you, celebrating resilient entrepreneurs just like you. We're Lauren Vicky from 241, a marketing company for early stage business owners who want to launch, grow, and be resilient. Daniel Edwards joins us today on this episode of Resilient Entrepreneurs Podcast. Daniel, you are an award-winning leader in the printing industry, and you have many fascinating twists and turns in your story, in your journey as an entrepreneur. Once a chef, and then for the last 20 years, a printer, where you've been recognized since 2017, winning the Word of Mouth Gold Service Award. I just love that whole concept of that award. And now you're an author. And you've joined the printing industry in 2002, starting your own business yep. in 2006, Poster Boy Printing. Great name for that, I might say. And just this Thank year, you. you've published your book, The Power of Print, available on Amazon. And we'll be putting the link to that in the show notes. Fantastic. Yeah, Welcome. it's been an interesting year getting the book published this year, having a few awards come through again just last week, which I think you might have seen. Uh, but yeah, it has been a... It has been a bit of a winding road from, from where I started to where I am now, but um, life is never in a straight line, is it? It's one thing I've certainly noticed as we've as I've gone along. So true. So true. We connect the dots looking backwards is one of my one of my many favorite sayings. Yeah, yeah. that's very true. Yeah, it certainly now, is. You're based in Goulburn. So uh, for those of our listeners who don't know Australia well, it's a regional city in the southern tablelands of New South Wales um, with about 32,500 people. And I'd mention that number because, you know, there's something to be said for living in smaller populations. Our co-host Laura lives in Bermuda, an island of about 60,000, and I used to mm -hmm. live there too. And that's where a lot of our listeners are too. It's about two hours south of Sydney and about an hour north of Canberra, so kind of in between. It's a relatively small town, I suppose. I mean, it's big for regional areas. But yeah, we moved here a couple of years ago and we've been very, very happy. Like all these connectivity things that are so standard these days, like Zoom, like we're talking now, um, has made it very possible for me to make that move and keep operating my business um, with basically no interruption at all. Yeah. That's fantastic. I think you might have been one of several thousands of people who took the tree change, they call it, yeah? Yeah, I was a COVID escapee for sure. But the COVID lockdowns proved we'd thought about moving to Goulburn for a couple of years. We have family down here. And there was always the the things that we thought we'd miss and the things that we didn't want to leave behind in Sydney. But the COVID lockdown meant that we couldn't do any of those. We had to stay home. And one day we kind of looked at it and went, we haven't done any of those things. We don't miss anything. So why don't we just do it? Yeah. And that kind of pulled the pin for us and off we went. Yeah. So tell me, why why printing? Why did you go into printing? So I was a chef and, you know, what I loved about being a chef was working with my hands. It's very creative. So you're constantly creating things with your hands and there's a really high energy to it. So all those things you see, like Gordon Ramsay and all that carry on, like it's totally true. It's exactly what it's like. And while I was working as a chef, I've always been interested in illustration and drawing um, ever since I was a kid. And at that time, I was kind of had this side gig where I was making stickers 
that I was selling through the local surf shops. I would do these cartoons and make them into stickers and then the shops would tell them for me. And getting the stickers created, that was my introduction to the print industry. And I didn't realise it at the time, but I was actually creating a portfolio of print-ready artwork. And yeah. the, the guy who was who ended up printing the stickers for me offered me a role as a junior graphic designer and took it like I was I was keen to stop working nights and to stop smelling like an onion. Um, <laughs> yeah. so. Yes, my sister's a chef too, well, was a chef, so I definitely can understand that. Yeah, so yeah. you went into printing. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, and it just kind of combined those two things that I loved, like creating, which was my drawing and the graphic design, and then actually bringing it to life and making something real and something tactile. And it just kind of tied those two things together and it had a really similar energy to cooking because like in cook when you're cooking, all the waitresses are university students typically. And then when I moved into print, all my customers were marketers and they're like recent university graduates. So it was almost like I was working with the same people. And um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun and a lot of tight deadlines and I just fell in love with it kind of straight away. So well, yeah. so Daniel, your book is called The Power of Print. What, in your view, is the power of print? The thing that makes print unique amongst all the communication channels is its permanence. No other communication channel has that, like radio, visual, it's all it's all ephemeral. You know, it kind of it passes in your ear and then it's gone. And so there's other things about print, but that's one of the biggest things because it's, it's permanent and it, it, it's physical and it's a tactile thing. You know, I, I always believe that, and you often hear that people are visual creatures. And I always believe that. But when I started writing the book, I came across this thing. What was it called? Uh, the name's escaping me at the moment. But basically, they, they took all the nerves and they remodeled the human body. And then in relation to how many nerve endings were in the body. And so the hands were huge, like massive, grotesquely large, and the lips were enormous. <clears throat> And when you look at the way the brain's constructed, like there's more nerve endings for your hands than in almost the rest, the entire rest of your body combined. It's it's incredible. And then when you look at kids, and my God, COVID, like I have two young kids, and walking around the shops with a three-year-old, don't touch it, don't touch it. Like it's got death, it's got death on it, right? Obviously, we learn later what we're on, but <laughs> yep. like kids, kids touch. Everything. everything everything right and they can look at it but you know, i like to think of this to see is to believe but to touch is to know and that's what print has it's a physical tactile thing in the world and it can communicate with us in a way that nothing else can simply because we can touch it with these i love that to people. see is to believe to touch is to know that feels really solid um and I think, you know, when you're selling something, one of the tips is that you hand it over to someone, you test drive the car, you give it to them to touch and feel, you ask them to try the clothing on. If it's a product or if it's a service, it's come and chat with us in a discovery call, get a feel for how we might work together. It's really a key point. And so printing, mm. you're being able to create these very tangible products for people to to touch and know. Yeah, there was actually um, an interesting study done and they found that there was a certain level of transference of ownership. So when you, they did this study where, like when, if you own this cup, right, if you had a cup 
you would think it's worth $10. But for you, looking at this cup, it's like you'd probably give me a buck kind of thing. <laughs> so when we when we possess something, our our value of it is is elevated. And there's an element of that when you're given a, a print. So if you're selling something, I'm just trying to look. If you give someone a print of a, of a product and then they're holding it, there's an element of ownership where they start to feel a little bit like they own the product. Yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, it's subtle. You're not going to pick up a flyer of a car and then be like, you know, that, now I'm going to go buy it, right? <laughs> but it's all these things that accumulate. So there is an element of ownership in that. So, yeah, when you pass something over and you're, you're selling a service, when you give them that tactile, physical thing, it's like they're starting to own it. They're beginning to own it before they've bought it. And so is that some of what you help your clients to understand? Because, Daniel, you've worked with a lot of Australia's top marketers and in companies like, or with companies like Westfield and Carlton United Brewery and Billabong. So what makes what you do different to any other printer? One of the big challenges in print is selling a commodity. Like it's a very commoditized thing. And a lot of printers, I always think about it as cans of Coke. Why would I buy a can of Coke from you when I can buy a can of Coke for him for a dollar less or whatever? And so a lot of printers compete on price. So, you know, a customer will say, I've got a quote from a competitor for less. If you can beat it or meet it, I'll give you the work. Then the other way they try to compete with that is time. Um, and they try to produce things faster and I mean, you buy print, right? So you know that's a thing that's it's become a thing in print. Like, I can get it to you tomorrow. I can get it to you this afternoon. Mm-hmm. But it's still staying in that commodity space. But what I try to do with my customers is talk to them about what they're trying to achieve. And when I can understand that, then I can make a suggestion about how they could do that differently. And then I'll back that up with some kind of reason. So, for example, I had a customer who was an architect and he was rebranding. He's going down this bespoke path where he wants to work with people making bespoke, fancy houses. And obviously the value of that's that's not a cheap service. And he came to me, he had a new, wanted to get new cards um, and he had a new logo he wanted to drop on. And I had done cards for him before, but I just did these standard. There was nothing wrong with them, but that's the best thing you could say about them. Like if you handed them out at a networking event, no one would look at them twice, which is good in that they're not rubbish, but it's bad because no one would look at them twice, right? <laughs> yeah. When I was talking to him, I, you know, why do you want to do new cards? I'm rebranding, bespoke, la di da And I, I said to him, you're an architect, right? You understand materials. And if we were making, if you're putting a front door on a new house and it's a beautiful carved wooden door, it wouldn't matter what color you painted it. It's still a beautiful carved wooden door. And look at these cards that we're doing. Like it's not a beautiful carved wooden door. It's cheap cardboard. Why don't we do something that communicates the value that you're trying to give to your customers with your card? And his eyes just, he went from vacillating, like, I don't know. Like I said to him, I said, stop mucking around with fonts and colors and let's look at the material. The conversation completely changed. Like he became excited, enthused, decisive. Like he knew exactly what he wanted from that moment. And I mean, it's great for me because it's what happens when people get excited about something. They kind of, I mean, to say they don't care how much it costs probably isn't true, but they're prepared to spend more because we buy based on value, not based on price. And I change, like I move from commodity to value in my offering to a minute. That's what I try to do for my customers and try to get it to that level. 
It's amazing. I mean, that's strategy. That's the difference between having a strategy and not having a strategy because you just helped him to understand how just changing something as simple as the quality of the material he was printing it on, making mm-hmm. the difference. And then the strategy was like, you're going to be presenting yourself as a higher value because you have a higher value card. So you're immediately introducing yourself on another level. That is a strategy in marketing that can set him apart from the next person that the, the guy meets, you know, looking for an architect. It's subtle. It's very subtle, but it's, it's a big, big thing right there. And what does it and say it, about his brand, his mm-hmm. brand development? What I also say to them is like your card or collateral, you know, broadly written is like it's your representative in the room when you're not there. So if you have this exceptional, remarkable card and when they're going through all the quotes that they've got and all the all the business cards that they're collected while they're choosing their architect, you know, exactly what you said, like there's this high quality card, it stands out, it communicates and, and there's a authenticity to it. Like it's it's a walk in the walk. Yeah. I've got another customer and she's the business is called Alchemy in Bellingen. Um, a little plug out there if you ever watch this joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's all about so she's all about this kind of handmade, natural kind of stuff. And she wanted to do new business cards. And I talked to her about this new stock that was almost a hundred percent recycled, and you could see the recycled in the stock. And you know that's that's what we did, and then we ended up rolling that through all of the stuff that she did. She gift certificates and a couple other things, postcards and stuff. But there's that authenticity to it where, you know, she says she's about the environment and in the choices that she makes with what she brings into the world, she is one of the things that's interesting about print. Yeah. And I think that's the value of like going in and actually speaking to your printer and, you know, having that relationship. That's what I mean. Like I'm a graphic designer, so I've worked with lots of printers in, in my career but it's relationships that really count because I can you know call up my printer and say I'm doing this card for this client what kind of stock do you have that would work really well for this and that's the type of thing I think people should know when they're doing their marketing and maybe they're on a budget we work with a lot of startup people this is their first business and they don't know where to start but just knowing that they could walk in and say hey I want to get business cards done this is what I'm about and then find out their options and what they can do, and then carry that through all of their branding. I think that's fantastic to know, and I hope that helps people, you know, out there who are starting out. Oh uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something worth thinking about, and it's probably worth shopping around for printers because not everyone does that. There's so much in the print world these days where it's it's all automated, it's all this web facing, customer facing stuff, and there's very little information given. They'll churn it out really quickly and really cheaply, you know, like I was saying before, that commodity approach. But yeah, it, it is worth, I think, shopping around to finding someone who will talk to you and will kind of share their expertise and their knowledge. Yeah. What were the major changes you saw in your industry during COVID? I mean, I, I wonder with people being home and maybe not being out sharing business cards or at mm. expos where they might be giving out brochures and postcards. I mean, was it was it a really tough time? for you or did you do any pivoting or made any major changes during that time yeah it was tough not for all of printing catalogs went up there was more catalogs being sent out but for a lot of stuff like i support largely events and retailers and obviously they were shut down so it was pretty tough for me any kind of sales stuff like business cards all of that just 
just plummeted. So in regards to, to pivoting in the industry, a couple of businesses kind of hopped on the, the face shield bandwagon <laughs> and signs, um, lots of signs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all those signs about, you know, stand here and don't get any closer. And um, you know, those yeah. screens that went up because you know they have the relationships with the those shops already and the shop feeders, so it wasn't a big change. For some of them so yeah some of those guys did really well uh, but for me i i used the downtime to to write that was when i wrote the book oh was, brilliant yeah that was my my effort to pivot <laughs> <Just doing laughs> that. so the book is written for other printers yep uh i mean it's for print buyers and print sellers so for buyers it's something that can help them although well, that process that i explained is, is a direct result of writing the book it wasn't something I had planned. It just, because I wrote this book, like I read so many studies and um, learned so much. And, and what I tried to do when I wrote wrote it was understand what is it about great print that makes it great? What are the features? What are the characteristics? And not at that, it's on nice paper and it's printed nice kind of level, but on that next level, like what's above that? And, you know, principles is what what I aim for. And what I found is it changed the way that I think about print and then it changed the way I was talking about print. And so for print sellers who read the book and, you know, understand, read the principles and start to apply them, you know, they'll find that it, it, it starts to change the way that they're selling print. And the net result of that is sale prices go up, time to produce goes up. And then for print buyers, especially marketers, they're looking at, ROIs, something that's effective, something that gets their message across. You know, if they can understand how print works better, then they can design their print to work better. Like it's it's a communication tool ultimately. And if, if you can understand how a, a communication tool works better, you can craft you know, your communication to, to take advantage of its, its strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And what is the principal methodology that you share in the book? Yep. So there's there's six principles, and, and the idea is, or the way that I use it is, I a job will come in, and I'll run through my principles like as a checklist, and I'll look for where they they've already got it or where they don't have it, and I can usually find something where I can say, hey, have you thought about adding this or doing this? And so the the principles are, I've got them on the wall, so I've got a cheat sheet here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the first one is surprise, like do something surprising. And so one of my favourite stories for this was a marketing company in New Zealand, an energy company, they did a mail out in an envelope, just a DL envelope, and it had the same message in it. And they sent it to two different towns. For one of them, it was just standard, like the control group. But then for the other, they they ripped it. So when the envelope arrived in the letterbox, half of it was ripped off. So the artwork was in such a way that with that section ripped off, it was all still there. There was nothing missing. So they got the exact same message. But you can imagine like you open up, you go to your letterbox, you open up and there's one that's ripped in half. It's like, what the hell? Like, you know? Yeah. And, and the response on that was more than double. Just by doing something different. So you identify every kind of print. There's a certain expectation. You know, it's going to be in a certain stock. It's going to be a certain size. And there's reasons for those sizes, often financial. But identify what those are and try to do something different. It's not always a good idea. You need to balance that. So there was a, a trend for a while with little business cards, just as an example, which I thought were ridiculous because... When they go in a wallet, they just disappear. Disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Disappear. 
they need to balance it. And it's not, you know, with the principles, it's not a matter of like I've got to make every six of them has to tick. I don't need a tick in every box. Just one box will do. Often it's enough. Uh, and so the next one is value. So every piece of print is on its way to the bin and especially promotional prints. So you need to give it, give your customer a reason to keep it. You need to make it precious to them for a reason so that they keep it. And, and there's a couple of ways you can do it. So like with, with the materials, if you did something unusual, like that architect, how he had this unique, interesting card, you'd keep it just because it was cool, what he ended up doing. But then you can also make it valuable with the content that's on it. So I did some flyers just recently for a martial arts studio, and he wanted to promote an open day that he had coming up. And I was like, that's cool. That's one side. But on the other side, how about we put a timetable? And so with the thinking there that if someone wants to go, they're going to put it on their fridge. Yes. And maybe they don't come to the open day, but they've always wanted to come or maybe they're, you know, like a, yeah. just some information. And, and you can do that with like FAQs. Every business gets asked the same 10 questions a million times. Mm-hmm. But just sharing that information, like making it valuable through the information. So there's a few ways you can do that to make it valuable. The next one was experience. And so this is the tactile experience of it. You know, people are very, like I was saying, we're very tactile. So my card at the moment is a, a timber card. So it's like two mil thick, made out of eucalypt. Nice. It's very unusual. But to touch it, because it's a funny shape as well, I got it cut into a funny shape. I went to a networking event a little while ago and this tray goes around right and everyone puts all the visitors put their their card on a tray and then the tray goes and people can take it and i watched people sitting at that event just playing with it you know doing this doing this and then when they're standing talking afterwards i could just see them holding it and just playing with it and it's created this tactile sensation for them that just fascinated their fingers and then when i went over to talk to them it was like I'd been talking to them the whole time. Hey, great card. This is really cool. You know, Love it's it. like I didn't have to introduce myself. I didn't have to do any of those things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thinking about that tactile experience. And it doesn't have to be like something impressive like that. One of the examples I always think of is, Vicky, you probably know JB Hi-Fi. Yes. Yeah, so JB, uh, Laura, it's, it's one of the most successful retail chains in Australia. Um, they sell DVDs, TVs that kind of stuff. But their presentation is a bazaar, like B-A-Z-A-A-R. And so they've got um, handwritten signs hanging everywhere. Everything's handwritten. All their signage is cheap paper. Um, They actually employ signwriters, would you believe, to come in and do all this stuff for them. But the presentation, yeah, and it's crazy, right? So, but that's the, they want to communicate. It's a deal. It's a bargain. Yeah. It's cheap through their choice of materials, even though they sell plasma TVs, you know, and they're <laughs> yeah. hugely successful, right? So it doesn't have to be about it's got to be, you know, letterpress, 800 GSM, you know, the best of the best because maybe you're promoting a like a garage sale and your yeah. garage sale should just, just print it on your printer and your desk, right? Like it's that communicates everything. So I was experienced. Uh, that's the Connect uh, was the next one. So the Connected World. What print is very good at is sending people to places and whether that's like the website or onto the phone or do a bricks and mortar shop, it's very good at doing that. I mean, we've all seen posters that say, go this way. 
And so we, you need to make sure that you're leveraging that and taking advantage of its ability to to send people places and and put opportunities on there. So you know, put your web address, put put a QR code. Like that's the one good thing for print. Yeah, know. there's a big rise in QR codes over the QR last code. yeah few few months. I've seen them more and more everywhere. Whereas they went quiet for a while after they first came out, but now they're everywhere again. I think yeah. we can thank COVID for that, right? I think so, yeah. Less things to touch and now you can just use your phone to scan. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because every business has so much content like online mm-hmm. and like the days where print clothes to sale are gone. Like there was a time, mail order catalogs, all that kind of stuff used to be a thing, yeah. but it's not anymore. Well, the deal is closed online so many times. So use print, get them online. Yes. It's all about touch points, right? you got to communicate with a brand X amount of times. So, yeah, send them there, like send them onwards. Um, nice. Uh, and then uh, preparation was the next one. So this is this is that old half of my marketing budget is wasted, but I'm just not sure which half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Marketers love data, right? They love, mm. love to know. They love to attribute. But print doesn't do any of that. You know, it's it's batteries not included. So if you don't set up a special email address, a special phone number, a special URL, you're not going to know. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's important to think about. So you can attribute because attribution is important. There's a really big case study that I reference in the book for the Salvation Army in the UK and this new... Um, agency took over and they spent a lot of money researching and trying to attribute where their activity was coming from and what they found was almost a hundred percent of their new donors were through the internet which at a glance is like well let's just spend on the internet right that's where all the money's coming from but when they dug deeper what they found was that most of their new customers which is the most important ones were being led onto the internet by the print collateral that was coming out at the same time. So they started investing in more print, less in the different parts, and yeah, the the net result yeah. was An their increase. donations went up. So yeah, it's it's really important that. And yep. I've heard crazy stories about people getting flyers and then they ring up and then no one knows like what the offer is or why they're calling or what's going on or. Doesn't oh, <laughs> it drive you yes. nuts? <laughs> drives you nuts you call up you call up someone i want to order such and such um no we don't do that uh yes you do it's in my letterbox you know and it's just simple internal communications they've forgotten to tell their frontline staff what the heck they're doing so it's very very evident that all of these pieces have to tie in together and that's what comes under preparation i guess is being ready before you send those flyers out mm. Yeah. So frustrating. Uh, and the last one one's clarity. So this is graphic design and like print. I always I talk about the five second rule. Like if you can't understand what it's saying in five seconds, then it's saying too much. And yeah, less is more. I always think like the reader's attention is a valuable commodity. Commodity. So don't waste it on stuff they don't need. But the number of customers I've told that they don't need to have their ABN on their flyer. It's like it's it's like a tax number. Australian business number. Why do they do that? <laughs> I know, right? And it's just anything that's wasting, anything that, because you need to understand that a marketing piece has one goal, right? Which is to send a customer to the next step, whatever that next step is. 
And if you're clear on what that next step is, then that's all you need to say. Like in my book, I talk about highway signs. So when you're driving on the highway, the sign will say Canberra, 100 kilometers, and then there'll be an arrow. And, and that's it. Yeah. And that's, in a way, that's all it needs. That's all it needs to say. I don't need anything else. Nope. And I think, you know, in flyers, posters, all these things, you need, there needs to be clarity and simplicity in the message. Otherwise, it's it's not going to work. If you overstuff it, it's overstuffed. Yeah. Oh, say it again. Say it louder for those in the back, please. <laughs> over and over. Clarity, simplicity. Get the message through with as few words as possible. I, I'm a big believer in like putting everything on the sheet and then how much can I take off of it when I'm creating something? You know, how much can we take out and the message is still clear? How can we keep it as simple as possible and keep the brand message strong through it all? That's that's really the key to good marketing and a strong call to action leading to somewhere. That's it. I think that's really interesting how much you're saying print is now leading to online and the sales closing online, because I think there absolutely has been a move to like get everything online. Online is free. Online is cheap. Social media is the best place to market. But social media doesn't last, like you were saying, and social media doesn't always um, stick because you are surrounded with gazillions of other people's ads and promotions and, and pictures of their babies and their dinner and everything else. So yeah, it's a lot harder to get your message to cut through that noise. I think what's interesting now is we don't often get as much in the mail. How often do we get something promotional in the mail? It's rare now where it's almost like, oh, wow, I got something in the mail. Like, whereas before not you. Not quite that in Australia. Uh, is it still, <laughs> do you still get a, a flooded? Well, we <laughs> have a no junk mail sign on our uh, post box. Sorry, oh. Daniel. So, um, yeah, we don't see a lot of it, but there, it certainly is quite a lot circulating. Um, but, you know, as with anything, you're going to cut through the noise with something that's of a unique and interesting design, like Daniel was saying. And Yeah. yeah. Your principles it's, are solid. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's actually interesting what you're saying about the letterbox. So there was a, a study done recently and like a focus group and the idea of junk mail, the term junk mail is now an email thing. It is, Um, yes. It's no no longer a letterbox. And the letterbox, because of the way that we shop now, everything so much gets delivered, the letterbox has become the good news place. It's not where the bills and and the rubbish comes in. It's the good news. It's a a positive place. And so many bills now, they're sent online. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, like the the role of the postbox has changed to, uh, you know, it's where I get the things that I ordered and it's where I get information about more things I could order. Uh, I mm-hmm. love that. Maybe I should change the no junk mail sign to a more mail please sign. <laughs> you might be missing out, Vicky. You just don't I even realize like what I you're am. missing no. out on now. You know, I feel like I am always stuff. a bit disappointed when I see that there's been flyers delivered and I can't see what they are. So that yeah. goes to your point, Daniel. It is the good news box. Yeah, yeah, it is. Very true. Very true what you're saying. I haven't had a bill delivered in years. Everything is, I want to be green and have it all online and send it to me via email. And so, yeah, what I do get in my mailbox, I got a, a lovely thing that I designed in my mailbox today. Oh, I designed nice. this map, <laughs> which is pretty well, cool. Coming for up the triathlon. Very exactly. cool. Exactly. Big event this weekend. Um, so it was like, oh, really exciting to see that in the mailbox. Tells everybody what roads are closed all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> very important. Very important information. It is. <laughs> 
Fantastic. So surprise, value, value or valuable experience, connect, preparation and clarity. Six very cool principles. Yeah. So Daniel, have you felt that you'd needed you have needed to be resilient through this journey over the last 20 years? Yeah. I mean, look, being self-employed, as you guys would know, is a very tough game and disappointments or mistakes come straight out of your pocket. Um, it's not the boss's pocket. And yeah, I mean, resilience and being able to get back up again after having disappointments is is hugely important. I mean, you couldn't do it if you weren't resilient. Um, what keeps yeah. you going? I ask myself that very often. Um, but I mean, when you get it right, it's really fulfilling. Um, it just feels great. Like when you put a project together and it actually works and it all comes off. And look, there's mistakes, but I would have been out of business if I didn't get it right more than I get it wrong. And I remember when I first started, I was lucky enough that uh, this big company wanted to work with me, the, the girl there. And I remember coming home and I, I quoted on this job that was like $35,000. And I was just thinking, what is she thinking? <laughs> like, is she mad? Anyway, I did the job and I landed it and, you know, it, it all worked. And it was, yeah, it was so exciting to kind of be given that opportunity. And I think I got hooked on that. Um, when, it, when, when you get it right, it's just, it feels great. Yeah. Uh, and that's what keeps me going. What about mistakes? Have you made any really good ones? Yeah. I mean, the first printer I bought was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. The whole printer was a mistake because we're not talking yeah. about a little printer like DustJet I have on my desk. You're talking about a big, giant. Yeah, 20 thousand dollar printer. Ouch. Yeah. I mean, I was inexperienced um, at the time and what I was shopping for was I wanted something that had great resolution and great solid colors and la-di-da and that's great. But what I didn't realize was that the ink faded really quickly. So No. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be really. Yeah. Did you find that it faded like after you had done a number of jobs or when did you find that? Oh, uh, Look, most of the time it was okay because the stuff I did was short term. Um, but I had one customer where he was doing longer term stuff and he showed up and it was all like, oh, it was <laughs> heartbreak. It was terrible. So anyway, that was a lesson learned. So I kind of, I learned, um, the lesson I took from that was what I liked about that printer was it was a great, the print quality was astounding. Like it was top of class. You couldn't get any better, but like in commercial printing, most of what we do is sail on now, you know, and yeah. no one's sending me photos. I don't need that amazing resolution. Um, and I just learned that w w what I needed was, I think about it as capability over capacity. And so like my first printer is really good at doing one thing and that's great, but it couldn't do anything else. And so then I started shopping for things that could do more things. It was a bit, bit more of an all-rounder. So that was the lesson I learned from that. Uh, I don't know if that's relevant for every industry, but yeah. Yeah, well, the mistakes are relevant in every industry because we've all made them, some good ones. Uh, my big printing mistake, I'll tell, was uh, for a commemorative issue of a magazine. <laughs> I had a spelling mistake on the front cover. 
Mm. I, I just oh, after thousands and thousands were printed and sold and distributed, and we figured oh, out yeah. someone messaged us and said, "Oh, did you realize that this is spelt wrong on the front cover?" Wasn't yeah. the author's name, was it? Or no, thank God it wasn't a name. It wasn't. It was a magazine, and it was. It was. It was commemorative. Was spelt wrong. It was spelt commemorative at the time. Commemorative issue. No, commemorative issue. Yeah, so, I was mortified. Doctor Brain is kicking in, going, "How would I save that? How would I save that?" <laughs> yeah, save. there's no no saving it. No saving it. It's out there. People have saved it. It's a commemorative issue. People were meant to save it. It wasn't even meant to be binned. Anyway, <laughs> so some people probably have that. Now they're going to go find it and look for that. Oh, I have. hope so. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> back then, it probably wasn't so fun. Oh, it was mortifying. Yeah. Absolutely mortifying. <laughs> yeah. And I check and recheck and send it to somebody else now to check. And I make sure somebody else signs off on <laughs> things yeah. before they go to print now. Let somebody else have that final say because, oh, it hurts. It hurts when that happens. Yeah. yeah so, Daniel, what's your mindset around failure? What, you know, you, you've said already that, you know, you're going to fail. And if you didn't fail, you wouldn't be where you are now. But what's your mindset when it happens? What I try to do is get through the tidy up, whatever it is. So, for me, it's often a reprint from a mistake. Get that done, make sure the client's happy, and then look back and try and learn a lesson from it. I remember hearing a story, I don't remember where, but the story went that this general manager was hired and he was put out in the state office and he made a mistake that cost the company a million dollars. And then the, the CEO rings him up and says, come and talk to me. And he, he flies across the country back to head office thinking he's going to get fired. And he walks in to talk to the CEO and says, look, I know you to fire me and that's fine. And the, guy, and the CEO said, why would I fire you? Just cost me a million bucks to educate you. Um, <laughs> And so that's what I try to think about. Like if, if I've made a mistake, it's like, okay, how can I avoid it going forward? What's the lesson I can learn from it? But initially just getting through, there's no point pointing fingers. There's no point carrying on. Just fix it and then, okay, figure it out. Um, it's very easy to get passionate, I think, but it doesn't help. It doesn't achieve anything. So, Yep, I agree. Just get your nose back onto fixing the problem, being a problem solver, see if it can be better than what it was originally intended, and then pour myself a gin and tonic, and then worry about the lessons. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about balance, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, that's great, great advice. So if you were to look back 20 years, you were just starting your printing business then, um, knowing what you know now, Daniel, what advice would you be giving to yourself, your younger self? Yeah, look after your health a bit better, I think. You know, Stephen Covey talks about sharpening the axe, I believe it is, or sharpening the saw. It's so easy, especially when you start, to just do nothing but and really pour yourself into it. And, I mean, that's admirable to a degree, but, you know, you start to wear down. It's one thing that I've learned as the years have added and my experience being self-employed is you've got to draw lines between work and home, especially when you're self-employed. It's very easy to just be work. Some of the choices I made back then in regards to the hours I worked and stuff, like it wasn't in, in like the price that, my, that I paid. Uh, it wasn't worth it really. And I should have been a little more, I could could have been listened to my body a little more than I did. But maybe that's hard. Maybe it just takes time to understand your body and the language that it talks and the signals that it gives you. Um, like I see my son 
who is never tired, he reckons. Um, but from the outside in, it's just I can see his behaviour. It's almost like a, a switch flicks, and it's like, oh, wow, he really needs to sleep, but he'll never have one. Um, so maybe, maybe it just takes time to learn that. Maybe I could tell myself that 20 years ago, yeah. and I, I'm not sure my... Would you have listened? Yeah, would you have listened? Is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. You do wonder. I think it's a a very relatable part of entrepreneurship. Is that sort of working yourself to exhaustion, often to burnout. Sometimes you need to hit that wall to know when it's time to rest, when it's time mm-hmm. to stop and say, "Whoa, wait, hang on, this isn't working. I need to pull back. I need to learn to take care of myself." What do I need to do? But I think if we don't know sometimes where that wall is, you kind of just keep going. And sometimes you, you just got to maybe get there. So I think it's very relatable. I know I've been there, definitely hit burnout in my career um, more than once. But yeah, uh, as you learn, you get to get a little bit better at taking care of yourself. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good good piece of advice, whether you listen or not, 20-year-olds out there. <laughs> <laughs> do take care of yourself. Absolutely. That's a good one. Thanks for sharing that. One last question. Have you ever quit? Wanted to quit? Ready to quit? Yeah, plenty, plenty of times. <laughs> um, yeah, especially when, like we were talking about mistakes, it's just, it can cut really deep. And, you know, you make a big mistake and it's just like, oh, like if I was working for someone else, it'd still suck, but I'd still get paid the same amount kind of thing. So yeah. if you're, I mean, for me, it's like a reprint means i've got to buy materials and it's it's a overhead or cost cost of goods sold um and probably you know for a designer it's time then that you can't charge for so some of those times when there's been big mistakes of i've wanted to throw in the towel um but i i think i think i'm addicted to working for myself i really enjoy the freedom like my kids are young at the moment neither of them are in high school and you know i get them to to and from school and i take them to the stuff and i do the things and my wife works full time and she's got to be there at a certain time but i i can make those choices to be there for them and at the moment that's important in a couple of years that might change um when they hit high school and they don't want to be seen with me anymore (laughs) which is going to happen and fair enough yeah yeah we have to accept that i know but you're the cool poster boy dad come on daniel Everyone wants yeah. to be seen with you. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's going to happen. I might have to start walking around in track pants and Ugg boots a little bit more. And just to... <laughs> You're making it worse. You're making it worse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've got a 14-year-old. A... I get it. I get it. Right. Absolutely. Like, mm. yeah. I remember being 14 and I would walk in front of or behind my parents. <laughs> <laughs> 20 steps at least yeah yeah right it's i mean it's terrible that i did it but yeah we all did we all did and they'll do it back to us and the cycle will keep going yeah absolutely but yeah i'm with you on the freedom thing yeah i think that's especially as being a parent i think that's one thing i'm addicted to as well Mm. this has been a phenomenal conversation of course i personally selfishly loved it so much because i am so personally in love with print and glad that it is not dead as some people might want to try to convince others that it is um but it makes me really happy to hear that it is alive and well and that you are working on helping people understand strategy i love your principal methodology people listen to that go back and re-listen to those 
principles. They're great in anything that you do, um, especially in marketing. Some great advice there. And we just really appreciate your time and joining us on the podcast today. That's been great. Thank you for having me. So thanks for joining us on Resilient Entrepreneurs. We're Laura and Vicky from Two for One. We love supporting entrepreneurs, especially with mindset, marketing, and motivation, which is why we've built an incredible community of business founders who meet weekly in the Level Up League. If you'd like to know more about it, look us up at 241branding.com.